Hey everyone, this is Mike Flanagan. On this episode of the Inside Bowling Show, we welcome a teammate here at Inside Bowling as well as a collegiate national champion, all-time USBC Open Championships leader and average, tremendous coach, and PBA champion Mike Shady. This show, if you found it by now, is broadcast live on Facebook and YouTube, and you should head over to those accounts by searching Inside Bowling to watch the program and check out our future episodes. If you're enjoying our show, do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. If you really like what we're doing here and would like to support the show, head over to InsideBowling.com and you can save 15% off site-wide with coupon code IBSHOW. Elements from today's show were intended for both video and audio. We apologize if at some point in the show you can't quite follow along. This is a great reminder that all of our shows are archived on our YouTube channel. Thanks again to all of our loyal listeners, and here we are with episode number 25 with Coach Mike Shady. Friday, everybody. I'm Mike. Matt's with me again today with his Team USA jersey in the background. We'll see how long that thing stays up. But uh, episode number 25 here coming at you today. And I can't believe we're already at episode number 25, Matt. Welcome to the program. Thanks, buddy. Episode 25. And, you know, you keep giving me crap for having my USA jersey on the wall. And you've got that 300 banner. Uh, I don't care if you said it's you want a title. Banner. I don't care. We I don't care. Yesterday, it's a, th- I- it's a gateway banner. I won a tournament for that. Okay, I won medals in this shirt, Mike, for my country. This is not a 300 banner. It might as well be. It does not say 300. It says Flanagan on it because I won a tournament. I I established yesterday that I bowled 800 at this guy, J.R. Golden, the poor guy. And I I dominated the tournament. I dominated it. Like, it wasn't even close. Look, man, all I'm saying is if you're going to come at my jersey, you got to be ready to cast some flack for your 300, 800 alternate color flanagan uh banner you got hanging up back there and there's your dog right on cue matt right on cue and he hasn't barked in like two hours and by the way it's his birthday today so he gets a pass he's happy birthday to harley he's uh four years old today and he's been crushing the frisbee game lately so um i'm sure he'll i'm sure he'll 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 quiet down in just a couple minutes here Back to back, back to back birthday shout out days. Back to back, yeah. We don't get. We're, we should definitely not get in the habit of doing this this birthday shout out thing because that's that's a slippery slope. Oh, it is because just on Facebook alone, there's like thirty of them a day. I used to wish everybody happy birthday every day. I just can't keep up anymore. Yeah, especially when you're a big time like you and everybody wants to be friends with you on Facebook. That's true. Uh, Mike, I mean, how, how many friends do you think that are real friends do you actually have on Facebook? A three and <laughs> two of them are on the show today. Two of them are on the show. The other one's Kim. And what, yeah, one of them's debatable whether or not this person's actually my friend, you know, because uh, I, I run them through the gamut. Today, we're going to have Mike Shady on the show here in a little bit. Coach Shady, who is actually the mentor of our group here at Inside Bowling since we've brought him in. We have a group chat that gets out of control sometimes. And there were a couple people that said, Are you going to add Shady to the group chat? Are you kidding me? Because we get out of control. But uh, what people don't realize is, is Shady is in there to to analyze us and every month he sends us a report on each employee 
and lets us know whether or not uh, this person should be retained for the next month or whether or not we should let them go. And so far, you know, it's been a couple months and nobody's been let go. So uh, those reports that come over from Shady within the Inside Bowling family, uh, they're very, very important. And I spend at least three days straight reviewing them to make sure that I know we got the right people on our team. And man, I got to tell you, in the ranking list, you need to improve a little bit. You need some improvement. Well, you know, maybe we can get Shady to finally put the legislation through for employee of the month voting because I I put I put that out there. I proposed that in January and it's what May now and I haven't still received a single vote from anybody in inside bowling on who the employee of the month should be for any of the months that have happened so far in 2020. So maybe I'm going to have to sit with Shady, get together with him and try to persuade him to push that legislation through. Okay, well, well, we'll do that. So let's get into the program here. We want to welcome everybody in. Uh, I saw some comments coming in already this morning. I want to give a shout out to Jonathan Thompson. He, uh, every single day, is watching this program. So is Love Jones. So so the diehards are back today. We've had a really good week. Uh, I can't believe we're on episode 25. I said it on the opener, but uh, we've got 15 left, and then we're going to evaluate what we're going to do. Um, so three more weeks of this show. And on Monday, we're going to have the guys from Sweep the Rack on. Because Sunday night, Flow Bowling is the PBA League draft. I cannot wait to tune into that. I wish they would have put it on a different date. Um, it is the last uh, two episodes of the Michael Jordan documentary. I would have liked to have seen that on maybe Saturday night, maybe a Monday night. Although it is uh, Listen to Your Heart, The Bachelor final episode Monday night. And I will be tuning into that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? The diehard bowling fans will always be tuned into that PBA League draft, and it's going to be a blast to talk about it on Monday's show. And maybe, maybe we'll give out some gratings and some opinions that's, that's on exactly uh, what we're going to do. Yeah, and we'll we'll, we'll let everybody know our thoughts um, and express our beliefs for the upcoming PBA League uh, PBA League season. It'll be interesting to see how it works out with the international players with this whole coronavirus thing going on, uh, what adjustments will be made, if any, the timing of the league, uh, replacement players, who knows what's going to happen. Um, so definitely tune in Sunday night. Is it 7 p.m.? 7.30? Yeah, 7, 7 Eastern. 7, 7, 7 Eastern. So it is a couple hours before that Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, it's, a couple, it's a couple hours before. Um, but, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. So make sure you guys tune in to Flow Bowling uh, 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday night uh, to see – if your favorite bowlers on the PBA tour get drafted. Yeah, it's uh, I'm going to be tuning in. I'm going to be watching that thing. And then you're going to have to watch too. And then Monday we'll, we'll give those grades with uh, the guys from sweep the rack, which ought to be a blast. Cause I'm sure we're going to argue. Oh, that's it. I was just about to say that, you know, we've kept it pretty friendly with the back and forth here. We haven't gone too out of, out of control, Mike, but I feel like Monday will be the show that facilitates some real back and forth discussion between mm -hmm. you and I, because you're very opinionated, opinionated dude when it comes to comes to bowling and drafting teams and everybody, and you're probably going to criticize everybody for not drafting all lefties. And um, I'm going to have to talk you back on track here and, and keep you within reason. Um, so it'll be a really good one. And those guys from the sweet rack podcast are absolutely hilarious. They're not scared to dig at people and, um, and they're smart as well. So it's going to be a great show on Monday. Yeah, so let's take it over to our Bowler X poll question from yesterday. Let's take a look at the results. Uh, the question was, which describes your you best regarding going back to bowling? And this was an interesting one here. And the options were, bring it on, I'm ready, cautious, but I'm going to go, going to wait a little, or very hesitant to return. 
And what, what, what I find most interesting about this, Matt, is 52% of the people said, bring it on, I'm ready. They're ready to get back out bowling, and they're going to go bowling as soon as they open up. 24% are cautious, almost 25%. So 75% of the people are going bowling. 25% are not, according to our poll question, with 221 votes coming in. 13% say we're going to wait a little bit, and 10% say I'm very hesitant at this point to return. Your thoughts on the poll question, Matt? I think uh, I think I'm not surprised. Maybe I'm I'm surprised a little bit at the percentage of people that say I'm ready, I'm going. I thought maybe there would be a few more people that say you know I'm cautious, but I'm definitely going to go. Um, maybe not as much, but yeah, I think also somebody somebody made a good point in um, you know responding to our poll saying that a lot of people that follow our account are probably diehard bowlers that are ready to get get out there and to go bowl. And also at the same time, just because you're a diehard bowler and you want to go out there and bowl doesn't mean that you're going to go out there and bowl. You know, some people have health conditions, pre-existing health conditions that that stop them from going out there. Some people just aren't comfortable with it. Some people are waiting to see how everything goes out. So I think it was a I think it was a great poll um, and we got a lot of responses. So we're really grateful for everybody tuning in to our, our, our Twitter poll over at Inside Bowling. And um, yeah, we, we love hearing from everybody and hearing what everybody has to say about uh, the current state of bowling. Blake Snell from Major League Baseball came out yesterday and said that he will not be returning to pitch this year if there's going to be any sort of pay cut whatsoever. It's too much risk. And I think it would be okay if he came out and said that, uh, that he just didn't want to play because of the risk. But but if there's a dollar figure attached to it and it's just about money, then that's another black guy for Major League Baseball. So interesting to see how those guys are are deciding whether or not they're going to go back and play ball. They're talking around July the 4th is when the season is supposed to be kicked off. Obviously that it's not set in stone, but that's what the players organization our players committee and the, uh, and major league baseball owners are, are working on right now. But I, I find that interesting. And, and, and that kind of ties into our poll question as well. What do we have for today's poll question, Matt? So today's poll question relates to our guest, Mr. Mike Shady, who we're going to have on here in just a couple of minutes, um, and it's about improving your bowling game. So today's Bowler X poll question is, what would improve your bowling game most? More strikes, more spares, understanding oil patterns, or understanding your equipment? Mm, that's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think which one I would pick. Because I know my equipment so well, and I sleep with it in my bed, I don't think I'm going to get to know it any better. Um, everybody knows I'm a master of oil patterns. I mean, I've forgotten more about oil patterns than you or our guest today will ever know. Um, so that's probably not going to be it either. Um, and everybody knows that I'm, I'm 93% on all spares, including splits. So, uh, because I lack ball speed, I would pick strikes. Okay. And I think, I think, I think if I had to, if I pulled a Mike Flanagan here, I would have to say people are probably going to say more strikes because everybody wants to throw more strikes. But you got to be honest with yourself, right? You got to say, okay, you know what? I throw a decent amount of strikes, but my spare shooting is awful, or I just have no idea what my bowling balls do, and that's going to give me more benefit than throwing more strikes. So it'll be interesting to see how this poll plays out. And I know you won't vote because you know all of them, and and that Team USA jersey behind you tells everybody that you don't need to even answer the poll question. You're I'm perfect, good. and there's nothing that needs to be improved on my end. So That's right. And Mike Shady will attest to that. He will. So uh, how about we're 10 minutes into the program again, I'm going to, I'm going to Johnny big time. Yeah. And I'm going to leave the show early again today as I head over to the USBC uh, show, which is a great thing to switch over to after we're done here today, Ryan Growney and Rick Murdoch from uh, Las Vegas and Reno will be uh, 
weighing in on how bowling has been affected, their casinos have been affected, and and just how important bowling is to them. And I'm looking forward to talking to those guys over there. But with no further ado, I guess we should introduce our guest today. His name is is Mike Shady. He is um, a friend of ours, first of all. He's also part of our team. We've also been releasing instructional videos every Wednesday with Coach Shady. And uh, he makes me look better because I stand next to him in the open and the outros. I don't do anything throughout the video, although there is one that will be coming that I'm actually starring in where, where Mike calls me average Joe, um, which I, I really kind of take offense to. But I think it's a compliment, honestly. But Thank you. Thank you. But Shady's part of our team here, and we wanted to have him on uh, because we wanted to help people uh, learn how to bowl a little bit better. And also let people know a little bit about Coach Shady to those folks that have been watching the videos and just get to know him a little bit better. So let's bring in uh, from Erie, Pennsylvania, our guest today, Mike Shady. Welcome to the program, Mike. It's nice to have you. Thanks, guys. Uh, looking forward to our discussion today. And, and Matt, you know, I've got a Google form coming to uh, the team here later today uh, for Employee of the Month. So expect that later today. I knew I loved your shade. I knew I loved your shade. I knew I loved you. Right off the top rope. I, I love it. Mike, how, how are things uh, today in Erie, Pennsylvania? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, things are good. We've got the sunshine out uh, maybe the first time in three, four weeks. Uh, we hit 70 today. So it's a good day in Erie. Let everybody know what it is that is your full-time job, how long you've been doing it, and how you've been affected with the pandemic. Yeah, that's um, we've been affected greatly, Mike and Matt. Uh, I've been teaching high school for 20 years now. And as you all know, uh, pretty much I think every high school, every school system in the country has been shut down. So we've been shut down for, um, I think, five, six weeks now. And uh, so everything went from the classroom, you know, physical instruction to uh, everything over online. So everything's been uh, online instruction and reaching out to our kids and, um, you know, really our, our three levels of priority is one relational really reach out to these kids because, uh, it's a really trying time for many of the students today. And two, it's, you know, the curriculum and three it's grades. So grades is really at the bottom of the, the priority list. And it's really about, um, just making sure they're okay. Why, why do you like working with, with, with young people so much? And, and why is, why has that profession been something with you for so long? You know, it, it, um, when I got off a tour and, and I really didn't want to travel anymore, I had opportunities to work for bowling companies. I, I really kind of dug deep to see what I, I wanted to do for the rest of my life, my career. And I love to coach and I love to learn and I love to give back and um, and my wife was a teacher, so I, you know, I went in that direction. And like I said, I've been doing it um, for 20 years. And, you know, the best thing every day is, you know, I'm making a difference in these young kids' lives. And I'm trying to, um, trying to speak into them so their futures, um, you know, there's opportunity, there's hope. They, you know, they can maybe get ahead a little bit uh, when it comes to some of the things I've learned. And, um, you know, I can't reach every kid. And, and, but I know I'm reaching some kids. And, uh, when I put my head down at night, um, that's a good feeling. Yeah, I know. I know you like to help people in all, all facets, whether if it's bowling or your personal life, or even a guy like me. Uh, when we got to know each other and and we started talking to one another, I don't know what the attraction was for both of us, but for whatever reason, 
we started talking, we talked to different people and we're still talking and, and we're getting to know each other even more now than we ever have. Uh, I would like to know um, when it comes to bowling and when, when you meet people in bowling, what is it that makes you connect with them? Well, I think first and foremost is the passion. You know, I, I love the sport. It, it'll always be with me. Um, you know, I'm a teacher full time by trade, but you know, most of the stuff that I've developed in education, I've used in coaching as well and tried to give back to the game and, you know, passion when I, when I'm with a bowler, whether it's coaching, whether I'm competing with or against, you know, we're there for the, the same, uh, the same reason. It's all about the love for the sport. Um, and then, you know, I've had a lot of fortunate uh, opportunities and people that have been put in front of me over the last 30 years. So I've got a lot of things I can give back to those people and, and help them in any way. And, um, and sometimes it's, you know, just, you know, the relational value more than just um, bowling. It's you know, just trying to uh, develop a, a relationship and it could be something completely different from bowling. So, uh, but it really comes down to, you know, why we love bowling. Yeah, you know, one of the most controversial people in bowling the last few years is, is Jeff Riggles. And Jeff Riggles is somebody that that you've been attracted to in some way, shape, or form, capacity, bowling on his team for several years now. And when I look at the, the two of you, you know, I don't really think that you guys are cut from the same cloth. And I'm friends with Jeff as well. So tell us a little bit about that relationship with Jeff Riggles and, and why you've bowled with them for so long and how you can be friends with somebody that's so opposite of you. Well, Jeff, uh, you know, 20, 23, 22 years ago, I don't know how many exact years, but he decided to get a team together, a couple of teams from Wisconsin, Wisconsin for the USBCs and, and asked me to be part of that team. And that's how we really developed besides bowling in, in regionals and against each other. But that's where we really started developing our relationship. Um, and, and Jeff is one of the main reasons I'm in the USBC Hall of Fame. You know, he, he provided the opportunity for me, put uh, outstanding players around me for 20 plus years. And um, basically all Jeff had me do is he would tell me when I was going to bowl, where I was going to bowl, and how much money I had to bring. And that's it. I just had to show up sharp. I mean, I did nothing else. So he made it really easy. Um, you know, Jeff's an extremely talented guy on the lanes, off the lanes. Uh, very, uh, um, he's got a big name in bowling. Um, but we got a great friendship. You know, there's some things that we agree to disagree on. Uh, but uh, I respect Jeff. I, I think he's, um, you know, he's he's done a lot for the game. He's done a lot for myself. He's done a lot for our team. And and you talk about the thing I talked about three, four minutes ago about passion. That guy loves bowling as much as anybody I've ever met. Yeah, I agree uh, 100% with you there. You guys have become many celebrities over the years when the USBC was live streaming the Open Championships. I believe you guys were at least, if not the most watched, but one of the most watched. And you guys you guys were the were kind of the first people through, through Riggs' blog to talk about lane carving, the team strategy, and how you go about attacking the lanes in the team event not as much as minors i mean you guys have always talked about that but what was it that that made you guys say aha we need to work together at the open championships and then and then your your results from that work and from that strategy almost every year is giving you a top finish i know that there were a couple of years that you guys missed with the game plan and that was explained and 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 mentioned on the 11thframe.com 
But talk, take us through that a little bit and how the lane carving and how to go about it, how you guys go into doing all that. You know, Jeff was um, you know kind of the pioneer for our two teams, but he he was uh, he was on one of the the famous Fabal teams before he started our teams, and and they won uh, many eagles together, and that's kind of where it all started for for Jeff. But he he really evolved it to a point where, boy, we had uh, specific game plans for everything where we were going to start um, the transition of bowling balls. Um, you know, he put he put ten guys together that communicated well together, worked well, bought into the plan, uh, and I've I've always kid Jeff that uh, you know he he would share everything with anybody when we finished. There were many many years uh, that we led team. Some years we led every event when we when we left the tournament at the USBC, and Jeff would share everything. Uh, he would um, you know he didn't have his blog then, but there were chat rooms, and he would uh, he would tell anybody that was interested, how we started, where we played, how we broke them down, what balls we transitioned to. And I always kid Jeff that, you know, if you would have kept some of that uh, hidden, you know, we might have a few more titles, but that was the way Jeff was. He, he loves to share his knowledge and some of his insights and um, felt that, you know, the best team's going to win, whether I share it or not. So, you know, he, uh, he was the pioneer for a lot of stuff you see today. Mike, you've got about, over over 20 years on the lanes at the open championships you've bowled 216 games in that tournament and you're the all-time average leader for someone i believe with 20 or plus years at 221.53 and mike rose juniors is behind you he's three pins behind you um tell us a little bit about what those numbers mean to you yeah it's a you know it's a nice stat to to know you're the all-time uh average leader at that tournament. That tournament is such a prestigious tournament. It's been going on for a very long time, but I've never been one to get hung up on numbers. Uh, that number was really more relevant to Jeff because Jeff is a numbers guy and he would share that information with me. But I, you know, I really never, I just go out and I, I try to prepare because I know I got nine guys that count on me every time I go out to that tournament and they expect me to, to bowl well. So you know, I, I prepare extremely hard for that event. And when I get out there, uh, I, I know I have to be prepared because I, I need to bow well for those nine guys. So that stuff, you know, I'm a process guy, as you know, Mike, um, you know, the outcomes, results, I just let it take care of itself. But, you know, when you bring that up, it's, you know, it's a nice uh, accolade knowing that, you know, I'm a, I'm the lifetime average leader for that tournament. But um, uh, I, I don't really try to focus on that too much. And you had a, a streak of, of 1,900, I believe, right? I, I did, and, and only knew because, of again, we're talking about Riggles today. Uh, I think after 17 or 18 years, he said, you know, you've, you've got a streak going, and, you know, it's um, 18 years of 1,900 or better. So that's when I kind of knew I had it, and it, it was a fun streak, and um, it lasted 20 years, and uh, 21st year I had like 1,890-something, uh, so. First 20 appearances right there. Matt's got it up on the screen, our, our crack producer. He's so good. And we're going to bring Matt back in here in a minute because I do want to get into some coaching stuff. And I know Matt's done a lot of that as well, a lot of mental game stuff as well, the two of you. And I'm looking forward to our audience being able to listen to that. Mike, let's uh, let's go back a little bit, though, at this point. Um, when did you fall in love with bowling, or when was it that you decided that putting your hand in, in an object and throwing it at pins was, was a good idea? 
you know, my parents had a bowling center. When my father, when I was four years old, first ball I threw, um, I'll never forget it. Um, lane 12 at our bowling center, uh, threw it. And, and um, I remember actually pushing the button. I had no idea what the button was. And a reset came down on my brother's ball. But uh, that was the day at four years old where I got, I got, um, I got hooked. And, you know, my, you know, having a, having a father who ran and, and uh, owned a 12 lane bowling center, you know, you, you're there every hour of the, the uh, day for the operating hours. So I never really saw my dad much growing up except at the bowling center. So I was around the bowling center a lot as much as I could be. And, you know, it's just one of those things as you know, Mike and Matt knows that, you know, when you, when you get the bug and it bites you, it's, um, boy, it's really hard to get rid of. And I, I've loved bowling since I was four. And to this day, I love it as much as I did 50 years ago. Yeah, which is amazing because a lot of us that work in bowling get burnt out and uh, don't love it quite as much as we used to. We have our streaks. Right now, I'm really into loving bowling because we're doing this show all the time. and It's kind of re-energized me. Yesterday, we had uh, Robbie Spigner on the program, and he talked about how his parents – you know, owned a bowling center. We all know the Spigner family. So it's interesting to see the guests that we have on the show and the people that have made themselves in bowling, how a lot of people have that same upbringing. It's, it's, uh, it's contagious. Once you get in a bowling center, it's hard to get away from it. Um, so you, your youth, did you have a youth career at all? What was youth bowling like for you? You know, I bowled youth up until I was 15. I went to adult leagues and, um, there just wasn't a lot back in the early, early eighties, uh, 1980, um, I think 81, I went into adult leagues and, uh, cause I wanted to start bowling some tournaments. I think in youth, I, I bowled, there was around the state of Wisconsin, there was six, six scratch youth tournaments. I won five of them and I, I wanted to bump up cause there was no money in it. Uh, so I started, uh, I think it was 14 or 15, uh, I think 15 when I went to adult leagues and that's, um, that's when I started bowling adult leagues tournaments. Um, uh, things like that. We got a lot of comments coming in here. Uh, Brad Bridges, I think, sums it up best for everybody. Mike Shady's also a leader in all-time nice guy award. Yeah, would, thanks, Brad. Brad's would, a good guy. Would you agree with that, Mike? Are you, <laughs> uh, you got to ask my kids that. <laughs> Have you ever gotten mad? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, there's um, – uh, I remember uh, when I changed my – I was 17 or 18 bowling a uh, scratch tournament in Wisconsin. In fact, it was at my parents' bowling center, and I was leading by a lot. And I was, uh, you know, Marshall was always one of my guys, Marshall Holman, and I was trying to act like Marshall on the lanes. And my parents were on their anniversary. My dad and mom came back early, and, and I, I remember running a shot out for a strike. And I came back, and you know, I thought my dad would be, like, smiling, and he pointed at me and sent me to the locker room and – basically told me if I act like that one more time, you know, he was going to pull me off the lane. So I kind of changed my tune, but there's a lot of fire on the inside. I just try to control a little bit better. than I used to, <laughs> well, you do a really, you do a really good job of that. Um, you, you went on to bowl in college and at the time you, in my opinion, went to one of the top programs, which was the University of Nebraska. Talk a little bit about the choice of going to the University of Nebraska and what that experience was like. Yeah, let me back up a little bit, Mike. Uh, first year out of Wisconsin, I went to the University of Wisconsin lacrosse. My intent was to play baseball and to bowl. I wanted to do two, and I, I did a week of baseball practice uh, at the University of Wisconsin lacrosse, knew that 
just, you can't do both. So I completely stuck to the bowling and really um, that year turned into a Cinderella year. We actually won the national collegiate bowling championship. We beat West Texas, which had Jack Jerk, Mark McDowell, Bull Scroggins and Jimmy Davis. Every one of those guys have PBA regional titles or national titles. And Jack at the time was all world. Uh, Mark was all American. I mean, they never lost a tournament all year. And we, uh, in a one game Baker, that's what the national championship was. We just lucked out and beat them. Uh, and Bill Straub was there and I bowled uh, with Nebraska and against Nebraska that week in qualifying. And um, I, I bowled really well that week, made the all tournament team. And Bill came up to me during the banquet and said, Hey, what do you want to do the rest of your life? I said, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be a professional. Well, how are you going to get there? I said, Bill, I've never really thought of that. He said, how would you like to come out and bowl for me? So I actually transferred to Nebraska. I uh, went to school that year, um, sat out. I, I couldn't bowl because of the redshirt rule. But it was really a blessing for, for the entire year. I was under Bill's, really his eye, his mentorship, and he really, really worked with me, and, and I bought into everything he said. And, um, and that's the reason, I, and even to this day, much of my success is Bill Straub. Um, just a, an incredible coach, uh, really speaks truth into you. Uh, was a great role model. Uh, still one of my my best friends, uh, almost like a second dad. Um, and uh, Nebraska, you know, it's just a pretty much most of my success is because of that. Yeah, Matt, why don't you come back in here? Um, as Shady went on to then from Nebraska he then went and tried the tour and I know that you were doing some research on this as well, Matt, but, uh, I think Shady's most known for his, his small time on the tour. Uh, Matt, do you have uh, some clips here for us to take a look Yeah, sure uh, do. Of, of Mike, uh, on tour as he graduates from the university of Nebraska and makes television. You can set this clip up for us. Yeah, this is uh throwing it back here. Shades 1992. Uh, I hate to say it wasn't even born yet. Um, and, uh, this is, uh, this is a match. This is the, this is your lone PBA title, right? Um, yes. My, my, my one national. Yep. One national title. And it wasn't like you had a layup, right? You were bowling against one of the greatest bowlers of all time in Parker bone in this title match. What was your mindset, um, going into the show? And you told us an interesting story beforehand about what you thought your key, uh, to victory was going to be and, uh, tell people how, how that worked out for you. Yeah, the, this was a championship match. The match before that, I bowled Dave Traber, and um, Resin was just starting to come out. So the new veneers were coming out, and I was still throwing a Pearl U2 uh, Columbia, uh, which was a pearlized urethane ball. Um, and this place always took – this was Earl Anthony's center and Ted Hoffman's. And the year before, I finished second. But I remember Denny Schreiner and Mike Durbin asked me, you know, what would be my key to winning my first national this week? Cause I had some TV shows earlier in the year and I told uh, Mike and Denny, I had to get off to a fast start. And it was the first week we didn't, we weren't allowed to use resin or rosin on TV. The tournament committee banned it. So I remember my first shot, my hand was wet. It was sweaty. And as it was coming down from the top of my swing, I could feel I was losing the ball. And I went gutter five. I had five in the first frame. And <laughs> Shady, I got a little story to make you feel better here. This is taken away from your moment, but I don't want you to feel like you're the only one that's ever done that. I went to do a, a camp at Kegel actually last summer on behalf of Ebonite. 
and I was the resident pro, right? And I'm just this guy. Now nobody really knows me, but as the weekend went on, they got to know me, right? And um, I decided to mess around for the day. My hand was like destroyed from bowling a lot. So I was bowling two-handed during the entire clinic. And then they had this competition at the end. And um, I had been bowling two-handed the entire time. And I got to the finals and they were like, Matt, we want to see you bowl one-handed, not two-handed. Like you're a one-handed bowler. So I'm like, okay. And I didn't use any rosin or hand conditioner. And I went up to throw the shot. And there's like, I don't know, 70 people watching me bowl or whatnot. And I go up there. And the ball falls off my hand at the top of the backswing, smashes into the approach, straight into the gutter. And there's just like this awkward, awkward silence. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, I didn't recover from there. That was about I, that was about like kind of one of my lowest points here. But uh, you pulled out the victory, dude. And you not only did it against Parker Bohm, but you beat him by a lot. Do you remember what was going through your mind when you were beating one of the greatest bowls of our t- all time in Parker Bohm? You know, I, I just remember that I, you know, I finally did it. Uh, you know, I've always, always had a goal to win a national and, you know, I was getting close and, um, you know, it was the first tournament. It, my wife, we've been married 25 years. It was the first tournament she actually came out to watch that week and I ended up winning, which was pretty neat. Um, and it, it, you know, anytime you win, it, whether it's your first or even your 20th, it's, it's really special because it's so hard to win out there. There's so many great players uh, the other special thing too was Earl. You know, Earl Anthony was one of those guys that I idolized when I was growing up. I used to go down to Milwaukee to the Miller High Life Open and watch him every year. And uh, you know, I had an opportunity to win his tournament, and I developed a relationship with him. And uh, that was a really special week. Um, and I, you know, just just knowing that you finally did it. Um, I think every kid who falls in love with a sport and competes wants to win a national title someday. Yeah, so you, you win the national title. And how, how many years were you on tour? I was five full years, Mike. Um, probably got off a little premature. But, uh, you know, part of me, I, I was a hard worker. You know, I, I, the hardest worker I ever practiced with was David Ozio. I mean, he would, he would practice hours and hours and hours. And I would go hours each day because I always knew when it was over, I wanted to look back and say, you know, I, I did everything I could. And I just didn't know if I could get to the status of Duke and Voss and Ozio and Weber and those guys at the top. You know, I was, I was banging on a door. I think I made eight shows in five years. I had several runner ups and, but I just wasn't confident I could get to the very top of the, the food chain on tour. And um, I was married in 94 and I, the road was starting to get on me a little bit. We traveled a lot, um, 30 plus weeks a year. I bowled every weekend. Um, and I was just getting tired of the road. And I knew that if your head is somewhere else, uh, besides being where your feet are on that tour, you know, it's probably time to go home. So uh, could I have one more? I think so. I think so. But Mike Durbin told me something when I was, might have been my first TV show when I was a rookie down in Tucson Open. He said, because um, we always talked about having a five-year plan. And he told me, Mike, if you stay out here, a long time that more than five years, it's, you know, it's like the hook. It grabs you and it doesn't ever let you go. You kind of stick out here. Uh, and I'm, I'll never forget him saying that. So I knew that, boy, if I put another five in, I might be out here forever. Um, and to be out there for a long time, boy, you, you got to be Duke. You got to be Voss. You got to be Weber. You got to be Belmo. You got to be those guys. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Witt with a comment here. You guys need to bring Ozio on as well. Matt had brought up a picture of you and Ozio going to the USBC Hall of Fame together, which is a, a really great moment. 
Uh, and I have reached out to David Ozio and I've been trying to effort to get him on the program. So Jeremy, good suggestion. And we're on, we're on top of it. Yeah. So talk about this moment here with Ozio. You know, what a, what a neat, um, just a neat night um, ceremony at the USBC. He's a guy I, I really tried to model my game after. Um, I mean, there, there would be times that we would practice and he would just keep going because he, he was the energizer bunny, never, ever got tired. And I would just go grab something to drink and, and watch him bowl because his swing, uh, to this day, probably the best swing a game's ever seen when it comes to just freeness and, and pureness. And, and um, so it was a really neat experience going in with somebody that um, you really try to model your game after. And, and uh, he was just a tremendous bowler. And not only that, character-wise, um, you know, one of the better quality guys that I've ever met in my life. So it was a it was a pretty cool experience. You won with urethane on tour. Um, you didn't win with reactive resin, but reactive resin was just kind of starting to come out for a couple of years as you were getting ready to give it up. A buddy of mine in St. Louis, who you know as well, Steve Orff, Ray Orff's son. Um, he's a bowling um, nerd, basically is the best word to describe it. And he talks about Nelson Burton Jr., that if Bo Burton would have been born you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, and would have been on tour with resin that Nelson Burton Jr. could potentially have been the greatest bowler of all time because of his lack of rev rate, but because the bowling balls made up for that. When you when you look back at your career and when you left and you decided to dedicate to to a real job, per se, is what we say in bowling, a real job in teaching, if you just stuck it out, do you think the resin equipment would have helped you win more titles? And is that something you think about? You know, I was... Um, you know, I was with Mark McDowell. I was rooming with Mark uh, when he won with the Excalibur the first week and made the show. And, and um, that's kind of how it all started. And, and the story, Mark and I were going to the truck to drill uh, a hammer for the night block. And, and Tony Westlake stopped us and said, Hey, you guys got to try this ball. We're like, nah, we're, we're good. We're going to, we're going to drill a couple of hammers. And, and uh, because it was Tony and we liked Tony, he was a good friend of ours. We decided to drill a couple of balls and, when I drilled it, I'll never forget when it came off my hand and it made a move at my break point like I've never seen before. I knew something. I thought the first shot I threw, I thought I hung in it a little bit. I thought, boy, that, that ball really jerked at the back. And then the next shot, I was like, boy, there's something different about this ball. And McDowell shot 300 over that night. I bowled really well. And and um, I remember Bill Straw flew in the uh, the next week to work with me. and. And Bill and I talked and he said, this may take you to the point where when you are lacking, you know, the rev rate, it, it may make you uh, a player where you can compete with those higher rev players. And um, But here was the problem. Once they started evolving the technology and, and the higher rev guys, RPM guys started learning how to use them and drilling them and different and, and the, the core started changing shapes it all became relevant again, relevant again, based on, uh, did you have a high rev rate? So I think early on, maybe Bo would have had a little bit more success, but you know, the guys that used to spin it faster off their hand than Bo would have evolved and started learning how to use these things. And Bo would have been right where I was being a, a kind of a middle of the road guy with, with the higher RPM players being able to use these, you know, these resin balls. You know, another guy, Mike, that uh, I would consider a little more outspoken than you and 
maybe not have much of a filter on his words and be known as the the nice guy, but another controversial guy that you just tend to radiate to, I guess, is this guy named Mike Machuga. Could you tell our audience a little bit about your relationship and how you've you've become friends with Mike Machuga? Mike Machuga, well, that would be, uh, geez, 20, um, 28 years ago, I met Mike because um, I started dating his sister. Uh, and then um, 28 years later, he's uh, um, he's my brother-in-law, and he has been for the last 25 years. Now, I'll give you a little story about Mike. Uh, 12 years old, when I came into Erie, um, either I bowled a tournament or I'd spend some time with his sister, I would always work with Mike. And I remember calling Bill Straub up saying, I got this kid out of Erie, Pennsylvania. Every time I come back and see his sister, this kid is whatever I told him to do. He's got it. He's got it perfectly. This kid is going to be a star. I mean, he is really talented. He's only 12 years old. Um, and he is, I mean, he's a tremendous talent. Um, but, uh, you know, I love Mike. He is controversial. Um, uh, he's a smart guy. He's a great player. Um, yeah, he's my little brother, I call him. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, when we came and shot the videos there, you know, we were actually utilizing his pro shop, and unfortunately he wasn't there at that time. I think he was out bowling a, a, a tour stop, I believe, at the time. But uh, Mike, I believe, is, it, he is he is kind of like a David Ozio. Uh, he's got that textbook form, just a, a, a beautiful game. You know, we were at uh, Team USA training camp two or three years ago and, and having lunch. And I was out with the coaches. I came back into the, uh, where the main presentation room and, and Matt knows where that is on the big screen uh, TV. They had, um, they had Machuga up there and none of the kids knew his affiliation to me. And one player said, Hey, coach Shady, who do you think has the greatest game, physical game of all time? There's a couple guys I was thinking about. Um, and I said, I don't know. Who do you think? And they all pointed at Machuga. And then Brian O'Keefe said, uh, do you guys realize that Coach Shady, that's his brother-in-law? Um, and, you know, a lot of people think that. Um, you know, there's um, there are many guys that can do what he can do physically. Um, but, you know, it, it takes uh, to be a, a Belmo and to be a Walter and be those Dukes. You know, they, they've got a mindset that's, that's, you know, performs as high as their physical game as well. So, it takes more than just a physical, but he is a, he's a tremendous talent. I've been working with Mike's for, you know, 40 years and he can pretty much do anything he wants with a bowling ball. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, let's get a little bit into the inside bowling, uh, regime here a little bit. Uh, we, we have our group and what we do and all these things that a lot of people don't even understand, but they're starting to learn a little bit through our show. And, and as we, we let people know what we do, but I always had this idea that you were hidden under a rock and that you're this great coach that really nobody knows about. You just mentioned that, that uh, people didn't know that you and Machuga were related, you know, through marriage and, and all those sorts of things. But I always thought, you know, just from talking to you over the years that, that you, you were underutilized. Um, and then when we started talking and, and I always wanted to have a coach on the inside bowling YouTube channel and, share knowledge because that's what we like to do is try to help people get turned on to the game get better at it uh that was a real component that we were missing and there was no way uh we could do it on our own and we needed a credible person that that we could do this with and you were nice enough to agree to do this and Corey and i went to the northeast back in february 
and you wrote all the curriculum and we recorded 16 instructional videos in, in about two and a half days time. And that experience was awesome for me. And with the videos that we've been putting out every single Wednesday on our YouTube channel and on Facebook, um, we've had a lot of positive response. I think we personally, to give ourselves some credit here, we look like geniuses because we're releasing new content every single week during a pandemic. Um, I think that's pretty cool. So talk a little bit about this project that we that we put together and why you were willing to, to go forward with this together. Yeah, I'll never forget the phone call. You called me. Um, I was on my way to do a, a clinic uh, in just on a border of Maryland and Pennsylvania and asked if I'd be interested in doing some some content for your uh, inside bowling. And, and um, yeah, absolutely. It, it uh, you know, it's just one of those things I, I coach. I coach a lot. You know, I teach Monday through Friday and weekends. Uh, I'm out coaching uh, summers. Uh, I do my own camps. Uh, you know, I was really fortunate by Chad and by coach Rod Ross a few years ago to be asked to come on to the team USA staff. So, you know, I've had a lot of fortunate opportunities, been around a lot of great uh, minds in this game, worked with a lot a lot of great players. And when you asked me to do that, I just thought it was another way to give back, you know, to share some of what I know about the game, also to learn, you know, to learn some of this space that you're putting it into, the social media stuff. And then just I, I knew by preparing for writing a curriculum on these, these short video clips that, I would again, I would evolve as a coach um, because anytime you can, you can go through that process, you're learning as a coach, as a teacher. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun, uh, that two and a half days we spent together, um, Corey and your, yourself and a couple of bowlers I brought in, uh, was a great learning experience. And, um, and the content, uh, the final product, uh, has been outstanding. So yeah, it's, uh, and it was timing was, um, you know, was kind of, it, it kind of fell into place with, you know, we've got new content and the bowling centers are closed. So it gave those bowlers at home who can't get to the center a chance to continue to grow and evolve their knowledge. And, and uh, hopefully one day when they get back to the lanes to put some of this, this information into their game. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Matt's going to take you home on the program. And the theme of Fridays has kind of been we start an hour early and then uh, then I got to jet out of here and get out of the program. But uh, before I leave, um, and I know Matt has a lot of stuff he wants to talk to you about, uh, as you guys will really hone in probably on the coaching aspect and some tips and stuff for people. Uh, I just want to thank you for the friendship that we have for what you bring to our team at inside bowling, believe it or not. And I know you know this, but I just want to say it publicly. You're helping the rest of our team at inside bowling, get better through our zoom calls, through all the things that we're doing. And I'm looking forward to shooting more videos with you in the future. Uh, we are going to continue the series and I'm looking forward to seeing what other products we can bring to the people at an affordable price to be able to get better at bowling and have close up interaction with you. And I'm looking forward to the future, pal. Thanks, Mike. Um, I'm looking forward to it as well. And, uh, keeps it, you know, it's a, it's an honor to be associated with you and your team and, uh, your brand. Um, you bring a lot to bowling and, um, just being a very small part of that is uh, just a great opportunity and experience. So keep winning. I'm an enthusiastic individual and I, and I like to lead, but I think the guy that's on the show with me today, who's going to take it home, I think there's a bright future for him as well. And I know you've been able to observe that and we've had those conversations. So I'm going to hand it over to him here at this time. Gentlemen, it's been a blast uh, hanging out with you today. Hope our audience got something from the storytelling and looking forward to listening to the rest of the show 
when I'm done with the USBC show coming up after this one. So thank you guys. Thanks, Mike. See you later. See you never. We're taking over the show. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I'm losing shady. Um, so we've got some, uh, we've got some great questions coming in, in the chat here and something that we talked about, we wanted to get to, and also somebody happened to ask a question about it just now as well is what is your, what is your number one tip for any bowler? Uh, number one tip for any bowler is, um, boy, let's keep it simple. I, I, I like to keep it super simple principles. So number one tip is, uh, you know, really the setup position. I see so many uh, bowlers who have um, setups that just aren't in the right position from bottom to top of their head. Boy, that's a, that's a five-second fix. Um, that's an easy one. And then it's, um, you know, today it's all about getting the ball to motion, getting your hand in a strong position. And, uh, you know, that's the number one question every time somebody comes to me, Matt, is, you know, how, how do I, how can I hook it more? How can I get it spin faster off my hand? So, um, and a lot of that, um, you know, it's, it's uh, how you get set up, where the swing goes, and just getting your, your hand in a strong position at the bottom. Yeah, I think that that's uh, you bring up some great points there. And another portion of the bowling game that we haven't really spoken about a lot today on today's show that you obviously know is extremely important. And I think everybody knows is important, but may not know how to work on it is is the mental game component of everything. You went out on the Open Championships for 20 years, and you were through the evolution of bowling balls, lane pattern, the format of the events, and how many people bowled on your pairs, and what the crossing was like. You've managed to stay at the, at the top of all these incredibly talented bowlers that have been out there. So what role did the mental game have uh, in your success out there at the open championships and on the tour as well? Uh, really, really important. You know, I, I always say it's the secret sauce to this game. Um, you know, I, even when I'm talking to, you know, somebody who's competitive to my team USA players, to guys who are bowling for a living, you know, there's a, there's a God-given ability that you and I can reach. We can max it out, and I don't know what that is for most players. Uh, however, there is a limit. There's a ceiling. Uh, mentally, you can be the greatest mindset performance player in the world if you work on it and you put some time into it. So 1992, three months before I won my national title, I met a guy named Dr. Jack Curtis. He used to work with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, in fact, uh, you've worked with Brian Kane before, Matt. Brian uses a lot of his stuff in, in a lot of his, his books. Um, and, you know, that's where it all started uh, 30, almost 30 years ago. And then I met a guy named Ken Revisa. Um, and Brian was a disciple of Kenny Revisa. Um, so, you know, it, it really, uh, it, to me, especially at my age, you know, there's some things physically I, I make sure I pay attention to. But when I get out to the USBC, tournament, I, I need to know that, um, you know, my pre-shot routine is, is, at a, is, is firing on all cylinders. I put time into it, my release systems, my breathing, my visualization, my mental recall, mental rehearsal, all that stuff is worked on before I get out there. And then when I compete, you know, it's, it's really, it's present, present moment. Um, as you know, just one shot at a time, this game has been played one shot at a time since the, the start of it, you know, many, many years ago, and it, and it still is to this day. But many of us don't play it one shot at a time. We're either in a, thinking about what happened last frame or last game or what I need next frame or what I got to do in the 10th frame or whatever. 
if you can stay present, breathe, keep that heart rate uh, to a uh, manageable level, um, have a release system, and and just stay under control and present. And I always say, make sure your head's where your feet are. And I make sure I do that, and I make sure I teach that. And I, you know, you, you got to walk to talk, and and um, you know, I meditate every day, so I'm working on my present moment um, uh, skill base and trying to evolve that as well. So it's really important. I think anybody that tries to do this game and perform at the highest level without uh, putting the mental component in, boy, you're losing, you're losing a lot of what your, your capabilities and, you know, your opportunities would present themselves to be. Yeah. And I think, I think you just wrapped it up and summed it up perfectly, Mike. Um, and we got another great question coming in from Dan. Do you have any suggestions to help switching hats from coach to bowler? Um, while working with the team. And I guess, I mean, it, it really could go either way from switching to being a, from a bowler to a coach, from a coach going back to a bowler. And, you know, somehow I had the experience with a good buddy of yours, Brian O'Keefe at McKendree University, to go from being a coach to a bowler of a team and bowling with everybody. And I know that that was a really interesting experience. But talk about your experience a little bit for you transitioning out of being a full-time bowler, someone who only focuses on bowling, um, and then going back into that role of being a coach. Well, you know, it, it being a coach, you get to see um, you see a little bit more because you can see what's going on around you. When I was competing, it was all about me. I mean, I would pay attention to what's in front of me and um, trying to pick up on uh, transitions so I could stay ahead of it um, or manage my lane transitions. But as a coach, well, you can see a lot more around you. Um, you, you. You got a lot of communication going on with other players. Um so it's to me, it's easier to manage the game as a coach because there's a lot, there's just many, many different inputs coming in through communication. But as a player, you know that's um, that's where you almost um, you almost got to have that game plan going in. Do you do you pick out a certain player on your on the team you're playing on that you you kind of move off of, communicate with, um, and as a coach as well, you know you you know what. Uh, you know how to communicate with each player as well. You know, what, uh, what is the physical component that that player usually focuses on when things go south a little bit to get them back into uh, performing at a higher level. So um, I just, as a player, it made me a better coach uh, because, you know, I, I felt it because I, I performed at that level. And as a coach, um, you know, it makes me a better player because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning more. I'm, I'm seeing other players, different I'm working with the different players. I'm seeing how uh, you got to coach different players differently, how you got to line them up differently, um, how bowling ball arsenals are built differently for different players. So it's a win-win for both. I, I think if you can have both those components, I think you're a better player and I think you're a better coach. Yeah, that's great. And, and you touched on something that I think is really interesting is when you're a coach, you're not just lining up yourself like if you're bowling for yourself you're learning how to line up different people what bowling balls work well or work better for different types of bowlers and something that i didn't realize until i got into coaching was how exhausting it is right you think of you're not bowling you're not throwing any shots it's really not all that tiring um and it really isn't all that hard to do you're just sitting there telling people what to do and whatnot but you're thinking for everybody on the team what has that experience been like realizing how exhausting it can be to be a coach or to be a ball rep or to be trying to line all these different people up at different, at the same time. Well, I think the exhausting part is uh, it's never a hundred percent guaranteed. You know, you're, you're making decisions 
to help players out. And based on your experience, you know, based on uh, a theory that uh, knowing the player, uh, knowing uh, kind of what your your eyes telling you, uh, sometimes what your gut's telling you, a lot of times it works and sometimes it doesn't. You, you, you just kind of start over. Um, I think that's the anxiety is, is uh, but you know if we go back to that mental component that you and I talked about a little bit ago, if if they got a mental, really strong mental part of their game, they know it's you know they they believe in their abilities, they're confident. It's just a matter of time before they're lined up and things things really start happening there that are good. So, do you feel do you feel a lot of pressure when lining people up and you know say you're with Junior Team USA and you guys are out at a tournament and you've got to line people in to try to get them striking or to win a medal for your country. Do you feel a lot of pressure associated with that? I think at times, if you're with a player, you know, in some of the uh, single events or doubles, um, you know, there's more pressure, but with team, it's, you know, we, we have a really great team of coaches. So there's a lot of collaboration that goes on. So you always banging ideas off of other coaches and you kind of come to a consensus. Uh, and then we, we kind of bring that consensus to the player uh, that's less, um, there's less anxiety there because you've got one or two, maybe three minds going at it and really discussing it. Uh, but when it's just you and the player, there's, um, you know, there's some pressure there. Um, but these players, I mean, that, that's a really good example with team USA. They are so good that, um, you know, a lot of times they, they kind of know it's a, it's a good move or maybe we got to discuss it at, uh, and go in a different direction um, because that skill level is at such a high level. <clears throat> yeah, Mike, uh, we're running out of a little bit of time here. We've got a couple more minutes left. I uh, first want to make sure I say thank you for coming on the show and chatting with us, and also thank you for joining us um, at Inside Bowling and keeping us all in line and making sure that we're all getting our stuff done when we need to get it done. These videos that, that you've been making have been fantastic, and I think that it's just great to see you give all this amazing advice and tips and drills um, to all of these, uh, all, all of the bowlers around the world um, that want to learn and want to improve their game. What are your plans um, for when everything starts to kind of resume back to normal as far as coaching goes? Um, and kind of like, what, what do you see happening once the bowling world can resume back to normal? Well, my hope, my, my plans um, that, um, you know, if I, if things could uh, be the way I wanted would be uh, summer's a really busy time for me. I don't teach during the summer for school. So, I do a lot of camps. Uh, you know, I do Turbo Collision Expo, uh, do the Team USA training camps, um, and then I do a lot of individual lessons. Uh, hoping maybe August we can have my Wisconsin camps. Um, you know, the, the World Bowling has, has been shut down. Uh, Collegiate Expo through Turbo's been shut down, um, but it's also an opportunity if that because there there is more downtime now to continue to to grow as a coach teacher. Uh, learn, you know, I, I just, I'm one of those lifelong learners. So just put more tools in my box as a coach. So when I come out of this thing, I'm, I'm a better coach. I'm, I'm uh, better read. Um, I've got more tools in my box to use for my students. Um, but I see it, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, uh, I think some of the virtual learning is going to, it's going to be a main component to my coaching because I, I think there's going to be some families, uh, some of the younger players where, uh, mom and dad's going to have some concern going into a busy public place where there's just a lot of people around. So I think virtual learning is going to become a, a major component to this space. Um, and, and I think um, 
there's going to be less groups. Uh, you know, some of my camps, some camps that have 40, 50 bowlers in a camp, uh, that may be a ways off, maybe, maybe not until next year, maybe even longer. So um, until maybe there's a vaccine or we have some type of herd immunity out there. So, um, so I think it's going to be a slow process, more virtual things developing. Um, that's, that's kind of where I see it heading. Great, Mike. Well, again, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're about out of time here on today's episode. We're going to have to have you back on again uh, in the future because there are so many things that we didn't get to talk about. And I'm sure Mike has plenty more questions because we all know that Mike loves to talk. So um, it's going to be great to have you on again in the future, Shady. I want to thank you again for putting out all this amazing content and working with us um, and creating these videos. And for everybody out there, make sure you guys stay up to date on those Shady's videos um, every Wednesday on YouTube and Facebook on Inside Bowling. You guys can catch those new uh, and improved videos with all these different tips and drills to help improve your game. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the show, and I uh, hope you and your family stay safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Matt. It was, uh, it was a good fun hour and, and I appreciate it. Stay well. And, and as I told Mike, uh, keep doing a great job. Great. Thanks, Mike. All right, everybody. There you have it. Uh, another great episode in the books with the one and only Mike Shady, an outstanding coach, an outstanding guy, an outstanding professional, um, well-known as a bowler, well-known as a coach, uh, well-deserved Hall of Famer. So thanks again for Mike Shady coming on. If you guys are interested in improving your bowling game, make sure you head on over to the Inside Bowling YouTube channel, and you can check out all of Mike Shady's coaching videos. Um, and we will release a new one, like I just said, uh, every single Wednesday. Um, it's a pleasure to work with Shady. It's a pleasure to have him here with us at Inside Bowling. So we thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you guys come back Monday. We're back at our normal time, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we will be discussing the PBA League draft with the gentleman from the Sweep the Rack podcast. Mike and I are both very, very excited for that. So make sure you come back in, tune in with us. Tell us how you think the draft went, what mistakes were made, who do you think is going to be the top team to beat in the PBA League this year. And we, again, appreciate you all tuning in for another great episode. Make sure you guys head on over to USBC's Facebook page, as that's where Mike will be on another great live show there uh, featuring Chad Murphy and some other big top dogs in the industry. Thank you guys again, and we hope that you guys have a great, great weekend. Thank you.